Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule is the podcast where I ask people to tell me the five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish or would like to have again, and one thing that they'd like to put in there so they can forget it. Something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the stand-up comedian and comedy writer, Elliot Steele. So this is a first for my time capsule, as we've had Elliot's dad, Mark, on as a guest, and now it's Elliot's turn. Despite being in his 20s, Elliot is a veteran of British comedy, having started stand-up at the age of 16. He's performed all over the world since then, including the Latitude and Reading Festivals, the Comedy Store in London, Hot Water Comedy Club and the Top Secret Comedy Club, among others, and of course the Edinburgh Fringe, where he can be seen again this year, having received rave reviews for his 2019 show, Murked. Elliot has appeared on Comedy Central's Roast Battle and voiced Ashley on BBC Radio 4's Unite, which he co-wrote with Ivo Graham, his dad, and Barry Castanola. Elliot was described by The Independent as the one to watch. But I'd add to that, he's also the one to listen to. So let's do that now. Here with the five things he wants to put in his time capsule is the very charming Elliot Steele. It is the small things in life, though, that are always pleasing, I think. I've just got an email. I'm doing Walk for Refugees. Oh, wow. The idea is that you walk the distance that a refugee might walk to walk to safety. Mm. Of course, I'm not doing it in blazing heat, no water, children on my back, 
I'm just going for a nice pleasant walk around Tunbridge Wells. So it's, it's not as brilliant as it sounds. Anyway, I'm doing it and they've just sent me an encouraging letter which says, hey, you're doing great, first name. <laughs> I was looking at your, your timetable for Edinburgh this year and you've got the 9.55 at night slot, haven't you, the underbelly. Yeah, yeah. That whole area, that place, anything around that, in those enormous tents, it's disastrous if you think to yourself, I've got to stay sober till 5 to 10. Yeah, there's a skill to it, I think, with Edinburgh. You should give yourself your weekends or give yourself a weekend, a by weekend. I mean, it could, you could make your, so last time I did it, I did a show at 12.15 in the afternoon to stop yeah. myself, make sure I wouldn't go out and stuff. Hmm. But what I'd do is I'd, on a Thursday, I'd go out till five. Like I'd go out and do it, but just on a Thursday. <laughs> and that was all right. That was fine because not everyone was out. Everyone else was going out Friday, Saturday. So they didn't yeah. get caught up in too much. And it also gives you something to look forward to that week. Mm. Like you go, oh, oh, yeah, oh, Thursday's coming up. I get to go out. Like I get to go do something. Yeah, but yeah, I think this year, like I'm more of just sit in my flat, play PlayStation kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's difficult to remember, isn't it, when you first begin going to Edinburgh that in fact you're up there to do a job, yeah, and not to go to loads of shows and go to parties and socialise. Although that's the, you know, that's really the fun of it. Yeah, that is the fun part. It, yeah, but sometimes I think it's quite nice to. Particularly at your age, to think to yourself, well, actually, you know, I got through that and I really haven't slept for about three days. I managed to do that show and they still laughed. That's a danger. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you find out you could do it hungover. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always the thing. Or when you find out, like, you, you know, I'm better. I had a better show after I had four beers there. Uh, and that can lead you into a quite a dangerous territory, one that I sort of discovered. Uh, but they, you know, got got out of. But I think that's part of. Weirdly, that's part of learning in anything. It is part of just sort of figuring out, especially when you're young. Especially when I was in like my early twenties and I was up there, mm. and I wasn't really focusing on my show. I was focusing on going out and chatting to girls. That was what yeah. I wanted to do because I was in my early twenties. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. Whereas now, I couldn't think of anything worse than <laughs> having to go and try to chat someone up. I'm like, oh no, oh. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, <laughs> like, I got, I got like episodes of Succession to catch up on. I haven't got time for this. Like, yeah, it's true. so. <laughs> Although, as a chat up line, that might work. You know, I just yeah, want to go yeah. to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this mysterious guy who never wants to hang out? Yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm sure I'll have a night or two this year you know yeah uh, and i think i think it's important to as well i don't i don't necessarily don't trust but i always find it weird when i meet people who don't enjoy well it doesn't just have to be with stand up or working in the arts or anything like that anything where there is always a fun part of a job there's always a thing where there's like hey on this day we're gonna go and do this and it's yeah. a little bit naughty it's a little bit exciting and i think you know with us in edinburgh it is it's 5 a.m the bar shot and someone goes my flat's round the corner I've got, <laughs> I've got a few beers in and you go yeah fuck it let's go mm. and then you're there till like 9am and it that is good to have one or two of those stories yeah and because i think i think that makes it a special thing uh the problem is you don't want those to be your only stories <laughs> no although there's something really interesting in there about walking through the world when you're in the state of i've been up really late and i'm just going to bed and everybody else is getting up. For people who don't do it regularly, it's a really exciting thing, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody always said to me, go to Edinburgh, walk up Arthur's seat at night, and then watch the sunrise. And I thought, nah, I'm going to stay in the bar. Yeah. I've never been up Arthur's seat. I always no, stay me in the neither. Bar. 
No. I've never, I've never done that. Uh, I know it's like a traditional thing that people do, and I, I've now taken. I'm doing that English thing of taking pride in ignorance. <laughs> yes, and going, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna learn a language. God save the king. I've never read a book. That's the, I don't need to yeah, do those sort of things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got innate intelligence. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one thing that I, I do. I, I really appreciate when you like always wanting to learn something. Like that is something that I really want to do throughout my life. It's just mm. constantly like learn things, but, but things that interest me. Yeah. And I, I'm not one of these people, unfortunately, and I would love to be the kind of person who appreciated walking up a hill, but I'm not. <laughs> I grew up in a city. I don't, I'm like, well, is it, is there not a tube? Then why are we doing it? What are we, why are you going up there to see the view? Right. Okay. Can't you Google it? Uh, that, which is, which is, which is a bad way to be. That's a, that's a, it's, it's arrogant. It's true, because if I think about your dad, I think about someone who also is a person who loves to learn things. He takes a great pleasure in the minutiae of life, in, in a mm. way. So it's very pleasing that you haven't, like a lot of people, rejected his way mm. and gone, I don't need to be you. Yo, yeah, no, I like, uh, I, you know, I, I really struggle actually with reading books. I'm, I'm not good at reading books, but mm-hmm. what I do is I watch a lot of things on YouTube and I find that more in, you know, I had to sort of find a way to learn and... Yeah. That, that's why I really like stand-up, actually, especially the kind of stand-up that I do is because the risk-to-reward of it is really tricky with kind of what I do. Mm-hmm. I make mistakes a lot of the time, and I'm very lucky. I have a, a club top secret uh, in London, which is very good to me. They they put me on. And the thing I love about that place is it's chaotic. It's crazy. Yeah. But amongst all of that is they really respect the comics. The owner, Mark Rothman, really like will give a space for a comedian and let them fuck up. Yeah. And then go to the audience like, that's what we do here. Mm-hmm. They got it wrong. But because that exists, it then allows you to get it right. Yeah. And I, f- I think that sort of way of like the trial and error of something, it really excites me with stand up or anything is that there is a, there is always a way to do it, but there's yeah. always going to be a way to do it. And that, that is quite exciting. Yeah. I love that feeling of, of looking for it mm. because you can work things out in your head, can't you? You can sort of go, I think if I do this and then I do that, that'll work. They'll think that's funny. Mm. And then you do it and it dies. And you think, yeah, but I know there's something there. Yeah, that thing where you go to a club and go, no, nah, that's definitely going to work. And you do it and it <laughs> yeah. falls flat and you go, I thought I'd figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had it. Yeah, I can't, I've, I've kind of learned especially with where I like the clubs I play a lot because I do like quite a lot of topical stuff and things like that. I've kind of figured out how to do that a little bit. Cause I think when you talk about a current event, it's so fresh in people's mind that people appreciate the speed of what you're doing. Yeah. And that people really appreciate that you've written that just for them, that, you, mm-hmm. that this isn't going to always be there, that this is a moment that you guys are sharing, especially with topical stuff. Like I have got it so wrong. Sometimes I have really <laughs> like, really misfired yeah but the audience has always kind of been cool with that because they're like ah this happened today Mm -hmm. he's not going to have had a chance to test this no no. and there was there was one i did one time where it just went yeah i was i was doing really well and then i did one joke that i'd written and the room literally went oh (laughs) and then a, a note got passed to me and they went, the other act hasn't turned up yet. Can you keep doing another 10 minutes? <laughs> oh, no. And I was there like, oh, I was like, I've burnt the bridges. <laughs> I was me. Yeah, I'd put it, I'd put it at the end. So if it didn't work, I could, I could get off. <laughs> and then I was like, oh no. So then I had to just quickly go into some other material and like try and win them back. <laughs> oh God. Yep. I did it on Sunday. 
I did an interview at a festival with uh, Dave Gorman. Oh, wow. Lovely, lovely bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we yeah, chatted yeah. and it was all going well. So it's a thousand people. It's a big tent full of people and it's all going very well. And I thought, so oh, this is working. And then I said to Dave, so what's the next thing you want to put in the time capsule? And he went, oh, look, well, I don't know. I can't decide. There's sort of two I've got. He said, I'm tossing up between. And I said to him, yeah, don't do the thing about paedophilia. And it, it went, Whoosh. that's funny. That's a funny lie. See, I thought it was funny. That's a very funny lie. No, but everywhere, just... What festival was it? It was called the Kite Festival. Or was it quite? Was it quite middle classy, lovely sort of there? Yeah, yeah. I can I can see it already. How mm-hmm. how those are the kind of places where sometimes you yeah because you're, you're a comic, you know. You go sometimes a bit of you goes. I wonder what would happen if I said this. Yeah. I wonder what I wonder what happens if this if I do this, and then and then there's like a stone cold silence, and you go, yeah, I should have I should have foreseen this yeah, part yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah, I sort of had a feeling that might be what they do, but you never know. It's worth the risk, though. You're never going to find those absolutely amazing moments. Yeah, yeah. You'll never find that yeah. unless you take that risk. I think. Oh, absolutely. That that's it. You've got to be prepared to fail. Mm. You've got to be like, and you know, and that's part of the fun of it. You know, I think it's not the same anywhere near. The, it's not the same thing, but it's kind of like if you go see a trapeze act, you don't want there to be a net to catch them because <laughs> no. it removes an element of the danger. Yeah, of like you're seeing this person risk their life. You know, mm. I think there's a thing now. We, I know people talk about cancelling a lot and all that. I have, I have views on it that aren't. You know, I don't think it's as big a deal as everyone makes out. But you are putting your job on the line sometimes, especially in day where someone just films something, someone you know, someone walks away, yep. tweets about something. Mm-hmm. Putting your job on the line a little bit is, is fun. It's a fun thing, you know. <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I quite enjoy doing that quite a bit. <laughs> Much to my agent's <laughs> annoyance. Yes, I'm sure. Why did you do that joke? Why? Yeah. Because I thought it would be the funniest yeah. moment in the show. Yeah. It's the only answer there ever is. Yeah, when I when I've got to send a clip to some production company and they're like, "Yeah, not this one, no. Like we're gonna, like, let's not. We don't want it. Let's uh, no." Well, I can't keep you all afternoon. Let's talk about the thing you're supposed to talk about on this podcast. So, um, what have you come up with? Well, the first one that I want to go for it's not something that I do a lot of anymore, but I want to go with cigarettes. Mm. Well, it's what they represent to me every now and then. Is a it's just a break. Yeah. Just a moment to go collect your thoughts. I don't. I don't really get to. I quit smoking quite a lot. Yeah. But I think when you get off stage and you get to have a cigarette and you just get to have five minutes of like, oh, decompress. Mm. You know, when you're you're travelling up and down the country and the trains are late and there's a delay and you go to someone, <laughs> hey, can I pop out there for a sec? Yeah, go ahead, mate. Uh, and it's just a it's just a little like meditation moment for yourself to go, ah. Oh, and then the next hour is you freaking out of all the toxins you've put into your body and that you're <laughs> going to die. But the, for that for that five minutes where you just get to stand there and go, yeah, inhale, exhale, it's meditation. And indeed, those first few, yeah. particularly if you've been starved of it for a while and that thing. I mean, I am an ex-smoker. Right, yeah. And I'm glad to be an ex-smoker, really. I would never advise anybody to start smoking. No. It's a madness. No, this isn't an advert. It's insane. Don't no, do it. No, absolutely. Don't do it. But for anybody who's done it, I know exactly what you're talking about. That moment. Yeah, it's it's so stupid, but it is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where you have to go to people like, no, don't do it. 
unless you want to be cool, unless you want to have, a, <laughs> unless you want to have a few moments, because you don't. There's no adverts for them. It's just no. word of mouth. Yeah. That's how good a product it is. They don't need to advertise, <laughs> especially like if you're at a bar or you're in a pub garden. It's a sunny day. You have a pint, and someone hands you a cigarette, and you just sat there in the sun, and you go. Oh, this is this is what happiness is. It's just this moment. This mm-hmm. just sat here with a friend, talking nonsense, drinking a beer, having a cigarette. Like to capture that moment mm-hmm. to me, like I would want to put that in a capsule and just like if I ever got to come across some alien life force. <laughs> what is human happiness? They say. What sum up human happiness for me? You go, come with me. Come with me. Yeah. Let's find a sunny garden. Yeah, let's get a bit, sit in a garden. And the World Cup's on. And it's, and it's a game that, you, do you know what I mean? You know, you're just sat there and it's like <laughs> Uruguay, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And you're going, oh, this is, it's a good game, this one. <laughs> like, it's, 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 is it that? not really that bothered about the result. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, I have to say that if I had to think of the moment that I really, really miss when it comes to cigarettes, it would be arriving in a foreign country. Oh, oh, oh my word, yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you stood outside the airport. Oh, yeah, just outside oh, the airport. You just, just, just got outside the airport. And the, and you get a Spain or something, and it's that beautiful heat, the air. Oh. It's like the air is made to go with a cigarette. Yeah. Like, it's like the air has been made for that. It is, oh, it's incredible. <laughs> oh, and, and, and you get a Spain, and it's like four euros for a thousand cigarettes. Because <laughs> no, no one checks any ID. The children are smoking. <laughs> dogs are smoking. You're like, this is, yeah, this is exactly it. No, I'm... I'm with you on that. You're in Paris or something. Yeah. There's the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, amazing stuff. I know. And the great thing about all those foreign airports is the moment you come out, there'll be a bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I, you get in your car and go off to where you're going, have a drink. Oh, I, I had that. I was, in a, I was going on a, a stag do and we were in uh, Marbella mm-hmm. and we had exactly that. We walked out the airport. And while, like, a load of the lads were trying to sort out transport and all of the, you know, a big group and someone's trying to lead everything. Yeah. But four of us went, should we just fuck off to that bar? <laughs> we did. Yes. And we just sat there. And then they're like, why aren't you getting in the car? And we're like, no, we're just chill out, man. Like, we'll we're just be with you a, later. We're yeah. going to be there. But we're, this is a nice moment. Yeah. I went, again, to another state. We went to uh, uh, Las Vegas. And Vegas is amazing because I say, like, have you been to Vegas? I haven't, no. Do they let you smoke in the street? They let you smoke in the casino. Wow. Yeah, and... Anything for money, that's what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, well, the reason you have to go is because you'll go to Vegas and realise every bad thing that happens to the West is deserved. Like, every <laughs> everything that is about to go wrong. You're in the middle of a desert. There's a <laughs> massive water fountain show. There's yes. so many mental health problems just along the street. So as you walk from one casino to another, you know, $100 million mm. casino with all this money spent in it, there's all these yeah. mental health problems. And you go, Jesus Christ. And then you get in and go, yeah, no, I would like a Bloody Mary, actually. And you just forget. <laughs> you forget everything that you've seen. Uh, but, they, yeah, they let you smoke inside. I will quit them because you have to. It's a stupid thing that will that it, there's no benefit to it whatsoever. No. It will kill you. Mm. <laughs> it also affords you some really nice moments every yeah. now and then. <laughs> and I don't think there's any wrong in actually recognising that. It's not just the addiction. It's not just the nicotine. It's the whole process of it. Yeah. I walked into the garden about a month ago and I suddenly panicked. I went in this blind, but oh shit, I've really forgotten something important. And my brain was going 
quick, run. And then I realized what, what I'd forgotten were my cigarettes. Right. And I haven't smoked for years. Oh, wow, really? You know, and also, uh, I think the way that, like, uh, smokers are treated now as well is, like, ridiculous. I was doing a gig at uh, the Brighton Open Air Theatre, mm. and it, the whole point of it is it's an open-air theatre, and yeah. I got a cigarette off someone in the crowd, and I went to smoke it, and they went, no, you've got to go outside. And I went, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I am outside. The entire point of this venue is that it is outside. And they were like, no, well, you've got to leave the... Ve-. And I was like, I was like, this makes no sense. There is no... There's no logic there other than like fuck, fuck you, like that for smoke. Just punish you for doing it. That's yeah. we're going to punish you for doing it. That's it. You know, there, there's like, I think New Zealand have brought in a law that anyone who's now born after two, a certain time period will never be able to buy cigarettes, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. That's a yeah. smart thing to do. But yeah. it is mad now that the vape companies have just taken the place of like being able to advertise to children, make them bright colours, make them yeah, all of these things yeah. that cigarettes used to be, you know. Cherry-Aid flavour, you know. Yeah. Because they have no idea what those things are doing to us. There's no regulation on that at all. And they have no idea. It could be worse for you than, than smoking. We don't know that yet. It's not been around long enough. Yeah, I think the fruit juice attached to the battery is probably not going to improve your life. <laughs> in uh, terms of health, I think, I, think, I think it's fair to say it's not going to do anyone any good. The, the tobacco companies and everything themselves are so insidious. There's something so horrible about them. Mm. They, for years, lied. What, there was a cigarette. There's an advert from a 1950s company where it's like, they were like, no, we've got rid of the harmful effects of our cigarettes because we've added an asbestos filter. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're fine now. And if you look at like the 1970, in the Olympics in the 70s, it was like Marlboro, the official cigarette of the Olympics. Amazing. <laughs> but, but that's insane. But McDonald's sponsors the Olympics. Yeah. You know, so it's still, there are, yeah. you know, I always find that weird. And now it's all been taken over by betting and fast food companies, as you say, and Coca-Cola and that sort of stuff. And yeah. Yeah, I'm not keen on cigarettes. I've talked to my grandchildren all the time about how ridiculous they are. And then I have to explain myself. They say, so why did you smoke? And, and then I have to be honest with them and say, when I first smoked, it was absolutely horrible. I remember the first few times mm. and they made me almost throw up. But you persist. Yeah, that's it. And eventually, you get that moment outside. You get that moment of relaxation, and you're in control, you think. Well, that's that's it. People who smoke, they persevere a lot. People who don't smoke are the real quitters. <laughs> they're, the real, <laughs> they're the real losers. They tried it and said no, but we, we stuck with it. We were there for the bad times, and now we're enjoying the good times. And the bad times <laughs> will definitely come back again. There's not a chance yeah. that it's going to work out for us. <laughs> <laughs> what a great advertising slogan that would be. Yeah. You're the real quitters. <laughs> You're the real quitters. <laughs> okay, let's put that in as your first item. It's brilliant. I'm going to put that moment of that first inhalation of a cigarette. Yeah. That's, a, that's a novel one. <laughs> and so we're going to move on to number two. Uh, number two is uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a martial art I'm very fond of. Right. Um, there we are. I knew something would come up I knew nothing about. I knew it would. Yes. So I, I've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for about three years. I've done martial arts themselves for about 10 years. Mm. I think it's very misunderstood. I think people think it's a cheat code and things like that. It's a style of like almost it involves like wrestling, judo, things like that. It's a, for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically working towards a position to submit the other person. Right. There's a whole belt system in it. It goes white, blue, purple, brown, black. And I've learned so much from my experiences in martial arts about myself as a person 
and other people as well. Like there's, it's, it's amazing because really the best part of it is the people you meet Mm. because you meet someone who's an ex addict who's there, who's replaced their addiction now with this, or you meet someone who used to be in the army and you, then you meet the people that you think you're going to meet, like they're scary fighters. And then you meet them and you find out they're really sound people who just, and then you meet, and then you meet some nerd, you know, like this person is going to be useless and they're amazing at it. (laughs) And you go, Oh, right. You can never judge anyone on. And and I know, I know, you know, it's a really easy thing to say, never judge anyone because I judge people all the time. Like if I, if I get on a train and someone stood in the way of the door, a little bit of me is like, well, this person doesn't deserve the vote. But <laughs> so I don't, I don't always carry on these, these practices that I, I sort of think about and don't want to come on a podcast and make myself seem too like worldly and like loving of people because I certainly, I certainly am not. But I think for me, that's the thing that, uh, you know, I wasn't any good at school. I wasn't good at any of these things. But then I, when I started sort of like, I used to do Thai kickboxing and uh, I still do a fair bit. But they, they I've learned so much from them about mm. like, also just a lot of the times you'll stop doing something, not because you need to stop, but because you don't want to do it. Yeah. And that's a very different thing. And I'm not tough or hard or anything like that in any sense of the word. My dad is a Radio 4 darling. You know, I'm <laughs> not from any sort of mean streets of Compton or anything like that. But well, South East London. That'll do. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but in the sort of hard spas that I have been in and uh, things where you have wanted to quit and you don't, mm. even if you lose, you go, oh, but I didn't quit. Yeah, and you kind of go, oh wow, okay. That I didn't know I was capable of that. I didn't yeah. know that, and that's that's a really wonderful moment, you know. Is as well as like after, weirdly, because it's a controlled fight. It's not like a street fight or anything like that. When you compete or when you have spar, mm. you have these moments with these mates where you're no longer mates. You're trying to like hurt each other, and then the bell goes and you stop, and suddenly you're even better mates because <laughs> you've just had this weird experience with each other. And then it stops and you're just both there and you sort of hug it out and you're like, oh, mate, when you did, when you took my back and got me into this position and oh yeah, and you fought out of that, you just have this like really cool sort of bonding session. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, that's definitely something I would, I would love to put in. And it's something I, 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 I used to recommend it to everyone. I don't think it is for everyone. If I'm completely honest, I think there's this thing with martial arts where I think some people won't enjoy them. That is the nature of things. You know, right, yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't enjoy Sudoku and for <laughs> some people, where I hold Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they would hold a crossword or something like that. Yeah. that that's yeah. their bit of the day where they go through something challenging. There's no need for them to do it. There's no need for me to do any of these things, you know. But there's no need for people to do crosswords or Sudoku. But no. it gives them a moment that's slightly challenging just away from the rest of the world. Mm. Then why is it called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Do you know? Uh, there's a family, the Gracies, and they were from Brazil. Mm. And they developed this style of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I think it was... Hoylia Gracie, and he was um, quite small mm. and had all these sort of like growth problems. So it was always like what you wanted to do was get on top of someone, and he developed a style where you could beat someone from the bottom. Uh. So it's a, it's, a, it's sort of a very philosophical thing because you're going up with uh, your game against someone else's game if you're at about the same belt. Mm. And so it's, all, it's like this really fascinating like philosophical thing where it's always evolving. The reason I love it is because you get hyper-intelligent people that do it and also extremely thick people that do it, which <laughs> I think is a great way for something to be done because 
you don't get thick people doing nuclear physics. No. Like you can't, they can't <laughs> do that. But there's something wonderful about, I think, in a sport like jiu-jitsu where people who come in who are too dumb to know when they're beat, that they then suddenly excel at something because they're stupid. Yeah. That, that to me is like when sport becomes amazing. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing in all sport, I think. You do come across people you think, how can you do this so well? Yeah. You come across footballers who really can't hold a conversation and they, they know nothing about anything other than football. And yet most of that they do completely instinctively. I, I like the idea of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu because there's a strength in submitting. Do you know what I mean? That actually yeah, yeah. if you fall down, that's what you're not supposed to do, but it gives you a, a new position of strength. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that would be called pulling guard. Right. Instead of letting someone take you down, you just put yourself to the floor and you start yeah. playing guard. The reason Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well, like I, I've done a lot of traditional martial arts, so like Muay Thai and stuff like that. Like I used to train in a gym where it was like, you have to bow and call this person master. And there, there was a reason you had to do that. I guess it was because it was in Fulton Heath in South London. So you're getting a lot of kids come in and they're in gangs and things like that. So yeah. you have to install some sense of discipline. Mm. But uh, with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, people turn up stoned and teach a class. Like there's no... It's it's really communal. You sit round and you have a chat. You and Brazilians they're like Australians in that they don't realise that they're hilarious. They have no idea about how funny they're being. No. And and man, they're some of the funniest people. And because they're not trying to be funny, they then become even funnier. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And they've got such a beautiful accent as well. And uh, I was training with the like this lab one time we did was called an armbar, which is basically where you secure the arm over your hip you push your hip in the air and it extends the arm the person will tap before it breaks but like that that's kind of the point of it yeah yeah and i had this one coach who was brazilian who was like so this is like uh when you live with lady and you do the fucking how you english say you say fucking right you do the fucking there's like kids and stuff running around he doesn't really he's like you know like this so like i'm like well <laughs> so i do it and then he across the class is going yes yes fucking this is it this is it he can fuck <laughs> and, 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 and like i was like man you're not trying to be funny this is generally you no. thought the best way to explain something and then this other lad tried to do it, it was about 15 and and he was like, you see him, he don't know with woman. He never done fucking. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you get good at this in a few years, brother. Like, and and it, was just, <laughs> it was just some of the funniest. They're just sound. It's just, and it's just really like cool community of people. You know, that, that to me is like a, a really important thing. I was going to go tonight, but I can't be bothered. That's how much I love it. And because uh, <laughs> it's a bit too hot. <laughs> You're going to stay at home and smoke a fag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. So that's in the time capsule. That's uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So let's move on to number three. Right, we have to take a break here for some adverts, but we will return, so don't go flipping. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Did you flip? No, I don't know what it means either. Anyway, let's get back to Elliot Steele and the rest of the things he'd want in his time capsule. Uh, group chats. Oh. I love a good group chat. You know, like a, a WhatsApp when you create a group yeah, yeah. with your mates in it and stuff. And there's there's a lot of unnecessary group chats where like people just create one because you know it's like oh we're we're going for tea on Sunday around one of your aunts or something and a group chat gets made and you're like why the fuck am I in this <laughs> and then you can't leave because it seems too aggressive no so you just have to like mute it but I think I think a good group chat is one of the best things in the world they're funny they're great my favorite thing if I'm being completely honest is if I go to sleep and I wake up. And I see there's like 200 messages in the group chat <laughs> and that someone's left or been removed. Like you Ooh. scroll through and see their names. Like, you're like, oh, something's happened. And you get, a, <laughs> you get a go, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> this is an exciting start to the day. It is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That that is the most momentous thing that can happen in a group chat. And yeah. then this thing comes up, so-and-so has left the group. Yeah. Uh, I had one from a theatre group that I was in been working together about nine months and it's still going and it's still great we're all still in touch with each other 10 years on oh wow. and just one person from that company at one point left and everybody went yeah we knew it'd be him really yeah what's your favorite group then do you have uh, lots and lots of groups i mean i'm in a few but i'm in a, a football group chat i don't know how much i could talk about it if there is a hell that group chat is the portal to it. Um, <laughs> genuinely, like the worst thing I've ever been part of. <laughs> like just so many falling outs in it. Uh, it's, it's been a lot better lately, but it, it was at one point. I think especially during lockdown, mm. where all there was to do was to go on your phone. Yeah. Made it very tense. And, uh, you know, you'd have uh, people's mental health were breaking down and stuff. So you'd go in a group chat and someone would just misland a joke and you'd just take off on them. Uh, but I mean, I mean, a comedian's one with a lot of uh, very, very, very funny comedians who, who I love. My best friends, they, uh, I hold them very dear to my heart. And that group is one of the funniest things like I've ever, ever been part of. I've ever, mm-hmm. I, I feel like privileged to be in it with the people that I'm in there with to watch like great comedy minds at work. Yeah. You know, we've all got that sort of style of comedy where if we've sat around having a drink or something, it's just we just start ripping on someone. We just start being brutal to someone in the group <laughs> and just someone. And then to have that all the time. And there's nothing worse than when it's your turn and you have to try and look for someone else to push in front of the bus that's coming for you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, but also you've got to constantly do, <laughs> yeah, very funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sending some laugh emojis when really yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, he knows I don't like that being brought up. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I know people moan about like social media and technology and all of these things, but I, I love the fact that because we're all comedians, we're all sort of away all the time. We, we don't really get to hang out as much as we, we would like to, but there's this thing where we are always hanging out and it's, yeah, it's great. And you know, it's also like a great time. Sometimes I think as well, like if you're in a good group chat and you put in and go, Oh, I'm having a bit of a rough time at the minute and people check in on you. It's nice. And then also, if people then make a joke about you having a rough time where you sort of go, Oh, it's going to be all right. Like everyone's people are joking about it. That's quite <laughs> a nice thing to have is, you know, one of your mates is then funny about it. Yeah. I like the fact that the, the groups can have a different levels of status in a way. I've got one group. This is a beer group. Mm. So we meet up and chat quite a lot and have a beer. Oh, great. But we find out more about each other on WhatsApp than we ever would sitting and having a beer together. Yeah. How often do you meet up? At once a week. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And we just say, right, we're gathering here this week. And you know at 6 o'clock, people will get there. 7.30, people go home and have dinner. It's nice. Oh, so you just have a couple of beers? A couple of beers. That's all it is. Oh, that's, yeah. I was a slightly weirder. I mean, like, we, we keep sending each other videos of, like, shark attacks. There's just been this spate <laughs> of shark attacks. And they're awful. Don't look them up. Don't do it. If it but, like, unless you want to see something really cool. But like, there's something, and it's just really nice to hear you go. We meet up and have a beer, and my friend who we haven't seen in ages is like, "Oh, look, there was another shark attack," and that's our that's our version of the beer. It's good this one. You can see body parts you, flying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, this, this one breaches the water, and we go. Oh. <laughs> And then we do that bloke thing of like, no, nah, I'd, I'd fuck it up though. I'd, I wouldn't be in by a shark. I'd be able to fight it off. I mean, in reality, I'd be so pathetic in any of those situations. Yeah. Uh, I did watch a sequence of videos of basically orcas or killer whales that have been in captivity, suddenly deciding that they were just not going to let their trainers go. Oh, and they attack the, attack the trainers. They just pull them under. And they just play with them. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Really, really horrible. It's, it's awful, but it's it's. I'm I'm. Well, you can't take your eyes off it. I'm probably desensitized because I'm part of the generation that was raised. The internet was around when I was a kid, but it was shit, so you didn't use it. Mm. But then when I was about ten or eleven, it it got good. <laughs> so then people would just turn up to school and go, "Oh, have you seen this video of this Mexican cartel murder? Some weird kid." And then everyone would gather around at break, and you'd watch that, and then you'd go into maths. That was like, and that was that was what school was. Yeah. And now, like with TikTok and like the way kids, I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't grow up with that. Like, I am thrilled I did not grow up with that because mm. I would, I would be a mess. <laughs> and like, I'm already enough desensitized to videos and stuff because like, you just go on Twitter and you see something that you don't want to see, and it's there. Yeah. And then you just go, oh, I've just seen that now. Yeah, I've not thought about that, how, how young people cope with that, because actually I do specifically remember every single really shocking thing that I saw when I was a young person. So, for example, the first mm. time somebody, I, think I was on a cruise ship, uh, we went on a school trip on a cruise ship, and somebody had bought some pornography from one of the crew, and it really was awful pornography. Really? Yeah, it was donkeys and that sort of, it was just <laughs> And they just bought it off someone on the, on the crew. It was about, we were all about 12. And honestly, and what, why, I had no I, idea what sex was at that age. What a day that must have been. Oh, so, so you can imagine, I've never forgotten it. So the fact that children all day long, every day, yeah, you don't yeah. avoid any image as a child now. Yeah, that wouldn't make them blink. No. Like that now, that wouldn't, you know, there was um, there's that famous uh, guy who had sex with a horse, wasn't there, and died. 
And there was like, there was, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, not it's famous like, in my world, but you know, I'm sure he is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a bit of a cult hero in certain circles. And <laughs> and uh, I think, yeah, his name was Mr. Hands. There's like a, there's a documentary about it. Me and my mate were talking about it one time going, imagine that like being the mark you left on the world. <laughs> there's like Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, and Mr. Hands. And you, you're the guy who died by fucking a horse and it's on camera somewhere. Like, it, you can watch it. Imagine being related to that dude. That's a memorable name as well, isn't it? It's a name that you're going to go, Hands, you're not related to. <laughs> and now with the genius of group chats, which were invented for, you know, family members who live thousands of miles away to reconnect with that. You can be in a yeah. group chat where one person goes, "Here, have you seen that video of that guy who gets fucked to death by a horse?" And then you go, <laughs> "No," and then, and then within seconds you can see it. And that, <laughs> I think, there's something quite magical about that. I think there's something <laughs> that humans that, that that is the human spirit. I think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you had this with Stephen Fry when he was on, did you? No. <laughs> John, no. When John Ronson was on, that's <laughs> yeah, not what they described as magical. No. <laughs> What are, you, what are you putting in your capsule, Elliot? Well, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Although it is what I anticipated, which is why I wanted you on. <laughs> oh, I wish I were going up to Edinburgh. I really do. I'd love to see your show. Oh, thank you. Love and Hate Speech, that's what it's called, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's on uh, 9.55 at the Underbelly, the Delhi Belly Room. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to doing it. Yeah, if people have been enjoying what I've done on here, you come see me. If you have listened to this and not enjoyed it, you are not going to enjoy the show. I will not lie to you. <laughs> there's, no, I'm joking. There's nothing. There's nothing as egregious as what I've just said here on in no, the show. And this is you being genteel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I'd recommend it. Fantastic. Okay, so we've done three things. Elliot, what's the next one? My final one is something we actually we actually touched on earlier when we were chatting, and it well my, my fourth one, so I say, which is failing. Right. I really think failing is a, a really, really good thing. And uh, it was really hard to learn that. And it that came through like Brazilian jiu-jitsu and things like that. You're never gonna get better at this until you fail. And especially like we were talking about with stand up, like to get good at stand up comedy requires going out every night and making a fool of yourself in the wrong kind of way <laughs> in front of a crowd of people and you fail. If, there, if there's one thing, I know I'm, I'm only 26, you know, so I don't, I don't want to be coming on and like giving advice to people and stuff like that. But if there's one thing that I would always say to people, it's like, learn how to fail. Learn that failure is your friend. It's this really good thing. You, you are going to get things wrong. And that's just like a way that you've learned not to do it. Mm. I think there's this thing, like when people first start stand-up, they come into stand-up watching the stand-up comedians that they like, and they're trying to emulate that, and they realise how difficult that is. Mm. If you really want to start stand-up comedy, go to an open mic night and watch bad stand-up comedy, and watch how not to do it. <laughs> that will be more valuable to you yeah. than watching a good comic, because you're not going to understand all the nuances that a really good comic does. Because you know, It's like me when I watch football. I'm not good enough at football to tell you how good a footballer is to tell you why they're so good. But there's certain, like certain comedians that you watch. Like I remember, this might surprise people, but I'm quite a big, I'm quite a big Michael McIntyre fan. Mm. And he's not my style of comedy at all. I don't, I don't do anything that's McIntyre-esque. No. But I've, I've seen him live twice. And both times I saw him, I went, oh, that's why you are where you are. Yeah. Anyone who moans about you being there 
has no idea what they're talking about. Those people who say, oh, he just talks about walking down the street. What's that Try about? doing it. But that's the genius of it. It's, again, like you say, if you ask my favourite stand-ups, it'd be like, you know, I grew up on like a, a Louis C.K., Doug Stanhope, things like that. It's a more American-influenced, that I would mm-hmm. say UK-influenced for sure. Dave Chappelle, people like that. Mm. I will put McIntyre against any of them in terms of like going on and destroying in front of a crowd. Mm. Every time I've seen him live, it just I, I was just staggered by how professional he was. Mm. I went to see, they used to do this show, the Great Ormond Street Gala at like Wembley. Mm. There'll be like 50 acts on or something. There's some, some ridiculous amount of acts on. And, and it, it would go on a little bit. And McIntyre walked out and it's almost as if, it's like he went to every uh, one of the other comics, I'm going to show you how you play Wembley. <laughs> like, I'm going to show you how you make, make this arena feel intimate. Yeah, amazing. And I, I was watching that and I was like, wow. And then you hear like how many gigs he used to do. And night mm. after night, that guy worked and you go, oh, right. He knew how to fail. He just had that that persistent drive. He's just gone on, on tour to Australia. And I know that he was at the Soho Theatre about a month ago, playing one of the small rooms, trying out some material. Amazing. It is amazing because he doesn't need to. He could sell out anywhere and is selling out anywhere. And actually, people, once you get to that size, people are really forgiving. Mm. So you could almost not be very good. But he's determined to be right on it every time. Yeah, I mean, you're right. But you're not going to learn how to do that by saying, well, I'll try and be Michael McIntyre. It's not going to happen. No. The way absolutely is to find out how you're funny. Yeah. What will be a genuine voice from me. Yeah. Unfortunately, with me, it's talking about a guy getting fucked to death by a horse and not a mandrel, which is a little bit, a little bit, probably not going to be as financially lucrative. But it's not it, really arena material, I know, but no. you know. <laughs> but I've never understood that as well. I've never mastered that. I've played lots of very large theatres, mm. you know, places like Drury Lane mm. and stuff, and been fine with it because it's just an audience in a theatre. But you get to the point where I've done comedy at the Albert Hall and I thought, I can't, I can't fix this. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know who to play yeah. to. Do you know what I mean? It's too big. And yet they seem to play those places where the laughter comes in waves from the back and they time it and it doesn't affect them at all. It's an amazing skill. How, how much is the Royal Albert Hall? About, it's about three and a half thousand. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's massive. And it's a weird, it's a weird shape. For, for stand-up. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm in that weird, this weird transitional space at the minute where I'm starting to get booked for bigger gigs in front of, like, the five to 600 people. Mm-hmm. And I'm used to doing, like, like I'll do the Comedy Store in London or Top Secret in London. Yeah. And Top Secret's probably 350, Store's about 350. But it's it's intimate 350. Yeah, it's yeah. a low ceiling. It is designed so you, it doesn't feel like that. But that jump to, like, doing theatres and stuff where suddenly you have a lot more space to fill Mm-hmm. It's quite tricky. It's a very hard thing to learn to play. And it's one of those things in this job that you go, what I, what I really love about this job is that you cannot master it. It is unmasterable because it's subjective. Mm. I supported a, a really good American comedian called Shane Gillis at uh, the Shepherd's Bush Empire. Right. And he, he is, he's phenomenal. Mm. And I watched him on stage and he played it like he was playing the comedy cellar in New York, mm-hmm. but it still filled the space which was a really interesting way of playing that size room where he just did not move from his spot, stood there while drinking a beer and just chatted. And it was like and it was amazing material and stuff. I was like, Oh, 
fuck, that's right. That's I didn't know you could play it like that. I thought <laughs> you had to pace around the whole thing and be everywhere. No, you, he just made himself the centre of attention. Yeah, yeah, you draw them in yeah. rather than you rushing after them, trying to reach out to every one of them. How long did it take you to sort of learn to play those places? I mean, I've done it really because I've done it as theatre, right? Mostly, and uh, performing comedy. When I say that, that would be in the form of sketches more than right. me standing there doing routines. So it's not the same thing. And I think that when you look at those people, you know, Lee Evans and Michael McIntyre playing those huge places, I think they worked out that actually all they're doing is showing them a television show, because yeah. almost everybody watches the great big screen behind them. So yeah. they play it as if they're playing a telly show. Yeah, that's a really good point. It was I saw Lee Evans do a show at Wembley as well, and again, it was just phenomenal how he filled a space and his like gag rate and everything was extraordinary. And he's like a, he's like an old school entertainer, Lee Evans. Yeah, like someone from who'd have a show on a pier in the fifties or something. <laughs> he but really he, is, he, but he's modernised it. Yeah, yeah, but he, like I'm not I'm not slagging him off. For him, it's a show. Like, you owe the audience a show. Yeah. It's a bit like some, you know, years and years ago, it was people like Sammy Davis Jr. used to do that sort of thing, where they'd come out and they'd play 15 instruments and then they tap dance and then they sing a song and then they do joke routines and then mm. they would fill every moment with activity. And that's sort of what Lee Evans does, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know necessarily know if it's a shame he retired because I think, like, he retired and kind of went like, ah, I'm kind of done. <laughs> he was like, I've, I've done it. Well, I think that may be true. I did a television show with Lee Evans and it was fantastically funny in it, but he was really, really funny when the camera stopped rolling and he just talked to the audience. Really? Yeah. Really? I bet he's an incredible host of something. Mm. I'd, lo- I'd love to see him in a, in a small room. Mm. Yeah, somewhere like the store or something. I wonder, you know. But then yeah. he'd probably feel a bit insecure on that stage, I guess, a little bit. It's not enough for him to, not big enough for him, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I know... When some people who play those massive places, they say, well, I'm going to just do a little tryout and things. They still play massive places, don't they, as tryouts, and people still come. Mm. I saw Ricky Gervais play a really huge theatre, and he was basically reading jokes off a list. What do you think of this one? (laughs) And the place, they loved it. Yeah, I think he's got a problem with Ricky Gervais where he plays to his audience all the time and too much. I don't think he steps outside of his audience. And, And, like... I'm not going to be the person who's... I think Ricky no. Gervais is fantastic. I'm not going to be the person who slags off Ricky Gervais when he's created some of the greatest sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. Some of the greatest sitcoms of all time. I'll, cu- I'll cut this bit out. We don't want to talk about it. No, 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 no. Keep it in, keep it in. I'm, I'm, it's, it's nothing that... I, I, would, I would say it to him. I'd be like, why don't you... You know, we're talking about failure. Why don't you go and die somewhere? Like, that's mm. what always impresses me with, like, Bill Burr is Bill Burr goes on the road with it when he's building up a tour show. The reason Bill Burr is so consistently brilliant is because he goes on the road with his mates who are all yeah. really informed comics, and then Bill Burr's got to go on after him. Yeah. And, like, and sometimes it's hard. <laughs> and, and so I have to get up my game. Whereas I think, I think some people go, oh, I'll just go on tour, and there's my audience. And your audience are just happy yeah, yeah. to see you because you're the person, you're the yeah. thing, you're the... You know, so, you know, I think that is that thing, bringing it back to failure. You have to, and it, it, you know, I don't know if I was at a stage of anywhere near half the level of Ricky Gervais' success, would I do it? I don't know. I'd like to think I would. But I think that's the thing that makes you better at anything is at every Mm -hmm. level. You just have to fail and fail and fail and then go, oh, I remember this. I remember this part of it. It's, It's 
this is the part that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Quite. Next time, I won't say the Peter video joke to Dave Gorman. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I still think it's funny. What can you do? It's very funny. <laughs> okay, so we're going to put failure in then. That's four things. Yeah. So we have to put one thing in that you'd like to forget. Oh, I'm going to put in my old school teachers. Mm -hmm. As I've got older, I, I used to think I was actually very bad at school. I wasn't clever. I wasn't any of those things. And as I got older, I realized I was being taught in the wrong capacity. And most teachers, to get fired as a teacher, you, you have to like burn down the school. You, it, the, the unions are so <laughs> strong and stuff. And as they should be, look, my mum's a teacher. That, I'm, not, I'm not slagging that off at all. But, well, I am a little bit. But I, I had a teacher called uh, Miss Lovell. Ah, oh, and she's just, you know, someone who makes it their sole purpose that if anyone's having fun, it's to ruin it. <laughs> yes. What an ironic name, Lovell. Yes, is it? Yeah, Lovell. Yeah, I, I was thrown out of sixth form at Harris Academy, Crystal Palace, because they, they, they ran the place like some sort of death camp. And it was just... <laughs> It, it was just, it was like something out of North Korea and just anything that was uh, a little bit of magic or a, a little bit of fun. They would make sure that that couldn't happen because it was all about, you've got to get the grades and get to this university. Mm. And yeah, they, they threw me out. And uh, I think back to a lot of the teachers, there was a lot of the teachers there that I really liked, but I really think that teachers are, we don't, we don't hold a lot of teachers to account. We hold police officers to account. Because everyone universally dislikes the police. Mm -hmm. So we're quite happy to hold them to account and slag them off as an institution. But teachers, we're not allowed to do that to because we have to say that they're all really good because <laughs> they're giving up their time to teach. Yeah. And they're not. They're being paid to do it. And also, I think if you... <laughs> this is going to probably get me in trouble. <laughs> if you are a teacher... You have failed in the field that you wanted to succeed in. So now the only option <laughs> is to fucking teach. <laughs> and that, that's what I think. Oh. <laughs> that's it's like if you meet if you meet someone who's a drama teacher. Oh, don't don't say well, it. Well, why don't aren't say you it. an actor? <laughs> I, can, I know i know that's a fucked up thing to say and i and i'm not saying that that's all teachers i think no. i think let me be very clear the majority of teachers want to probably teach the youth i think it's a very honorable thing to teach people something to pass on knowledge is probably one of the greatest things you can ever ever do mm. but there are a selection of them that are miserable <laughs> because that they didn't succeed in a field they wanted to. And they now take it out on the, on the students. And again, I wouldn't want to work with kids. I'd, I'd, I'd suck at it. I wouldn't be warm enough. I wouldn't be patient that you have to be. <laughs> yeah. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Because actually you can see that a lot of them are terrified that the idea of having fun or making something interesting, or in fact, giving children initiative to say, well, you decide. You know, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? Mm. You start handing power over mm. and all your power is going to go. And they're terrified of the thing falling apart. Yeah. And we've all had teachers like that. I had a teacher like that who was so miserable in his profession. And it is a prime example of somebody who can't do the thing they wanted to do and therefore thinks, well, I know a lot about it, though, so I'll just teach people. The last thing he wanted to do was teach people. He hated the fact that none of us could speak French. Mm. And he loved France. And the only time I ever saw him happy was when he was pissed on a ferry going across to Calais on a school trip. 
it's gone, I'm going to France. And it made him happy. Oh. And he, he went to us, off you go, boys. Be back here at five o'clock. The ferry goes then. And he went off to his favorite restaurant and had the most fantastic time. And I thought, why are you doing this? Your entire life you've spent in a room being annoyed with children, not knowing the preposition. Don't do it. Yeah, I, I had an awful French teacher, Mr. Holmes. Yeah, he was horrible. My handwriting is all over the place, and he used to like make very disparaging comments about how he couldn't read my work in front of the whole class, and it was quite humiliating and stuff. Mm. And he was doing it one day, and he, he was like, what, what, "Like, why do you why do you write like this?" I was like, "I don't know." What I was writing. He's like, "Right, so you're just going to make my job harder, are you? Like, I've just now got to do. I've got to decipher all of this." And I, I was just went, "Well, go fuck yourself." And then, like, like, immediately, like, my dad was called in. And and I was like, you can't say that. And I was, and I sort of went to my dad years ago. I was like, no, I still think I'm in the right in that because he was talking to me in such a a horrific way that I think go fuck yourself is such a great response to someone being an arsehole. And I'm not, I'm not saying I was the easiest of students. No, but five times a day, nearly all of us must have to bite our lips and not say to people, Oh, go fuck yourself. Mm. That's gotta be a natural reaction to most things, isn't it? Well, I think like if school was a, if if he was an actual teacher, that would have been the lesson. He would have jumped up and gone, Oh, you've passed. You've learned. (laughs) Yeah, this is it. This is what life is. Sometimes you've got to tell people to go fuck themselves. And sometimes still you're going to have to bite your tongue. You can't tell certain people to go. And you know, and that's the real (laughs) lesson. That's the real French. And you go, Oh, okay. Um, but I, I had a, a wonderful teacher as well, Mr. Stye, who just would talk to us and like ask us our thoughts and things. And he was amazing. I think when you get a really good teacher, it, it shows all those bad teachers, you know, especially like I, I hated school. I have never, ever, ever, ever missed school. I loathed it. I loathed it the entire time there. I, mm. I, I, I thought it was horrific. I, I hated that I had to go into this place and dress a certain way and, any part where you question the authority, you're immediately shut down. And I think it's peculiar that you'd like do a history exam where you're learning about World War Two and how the rise of the Weimar Republic mm. and that blindly following authority is sometimes not a good thing. And then the minute you would question the authority would be immediately met with, well, shut up, stay in your place. Yes. And I was like, but that's, you know, this is very hypocritical. Now, I'm not trying to compare uh norwood school to uh <laughs> 1939 germany but i think I, I think that it uh it, it, it's this incredibly tumultuous time of your life when you're young you know when you when you're that young and especially being a teenager and the idea that the way we teach and the way that things are taught and also the people you know it's a hard job we've got to get people to do it so sometimes you are just gonna be sat there with some hungover 28 year old who doesn't really want to be there but they've, they've done a course and here they are and you lot all talking is getting in the way of their hangover yes so now you're gonna to have to work in silence <laughs> but every bad teacher i've ever met is sort of one of the reasons why i really want to do well in my career is is to prove them wrong because i'm i'm more driven by spite than i am the people who don't believe in me drive me more than the people who do believe in me right which is a very peculiar way to work <laughs> I, I have a very like well i'll show them attitude and I, I don't think any of these teachers even think about me anymore, which is, you know, one day I have this dream that, like, I'll, you know, I'm going to win the Nobel Peace Prize, for, I don't know, for something, <laughs> comedy. Yeah. My comedy will bring peace to the world. 
And then I'll go, yeah, well, this is out of Miss Lovell. And she'll be at home going, I didn't know that I taught him. What? Like, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I have no idea who that man is. And, <laughs> and, no, and, they've got photographs of you all up on the wall. And every day they're trying to dance They know. They'll never forget. And you'll be able to come back to them and say, not only have I done these things, but also you're buried in a time capsule, mate. Got rid of you. Yeah. Well, I I know he's not uh, the guy who runs uh, Weatherspoons. Is not you know he's not particularly liked. No. But I do have a massive level of respect for him because he named him JD Weatherspoons after the teacher who told him he would never amount to anything. <laughs> and I didn't know that. that That's great. Yeah, and that is a level of. So if you ever listen to a show or anything I write or any bits of like script writing I've ever done, if there's ever a character who dies or is killed off. Mm. They're always named after teachers that I've had. <laughs> I was in a room one time and there, there was like, we were writing on this thing and like in this storyline, there was a teacher who died and I, I, they were like, we need a name. And I was like, Miss Yates, because she was my old maths teacher. Uh, I would always give them the names of actual teachers that I had and then, and then just sort of hope that there'd never be any lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good idea. But you're right. You see, you remember those names yeah. much more than you do the other ones, I think. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, well, you don't have to remember them anymore. We're going to chuck them into the time capsule, and uh, that's it. They're gone. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Elliot. It's brilliant to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being so uncontroversial. (laughs) (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Elliot Steele. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to this podcast so we can let you know whenever a new episode is available. We'd also appreciate it. And when I say we, I mean me and my son, John, who make this podcast all on our own. John and I would really appreciate it if you try and direct new listeners to this podcast by highly rating it. In other words, just click on five stars or even reviewing it, which I think you can do on several podcast sites, but mostly Apple Podcasts. People have written some really lovely things, and, of course, we read them all. Who wouldn't? It's fabulous that people take the time to do such a thing. But perhaps you are one of those people, so have a go. Also, do follow me and my time capsule on Twitter or Instagram or even Facebook, if that's your thing. We try to answer any questions and love getting suggestions about possible future guests for me to pursue. Obviously not in the stalking sense. And again, we are most grateful for people retweeting and indeed making their own media up about the podcast. Most of them are better at it than me. If you'd like to receive this podcast with the ads removed, then for a very small monthly fee, and that's not ad speak, it's only £2.99 a month, then do look at the details about ACAST Plus in the description of this podcast. All money received goes to fund the making of more episodes. So thank you. The theme tune was written and performed by Past the Peas Music and is available on Spotify in its entirety. This cast-off production was produced by John Fenton Stevens, as I said earlier, for Acast. Right, I'm off to the shoe shop. Not the one I went to yesterday. They were useless. I tried some on and then I said to the assistant, excuse me, um, these shoes are a bit tight. He said, well, try it with the tongue out. I said, these shoes are a bit tight. It didn't help. Bye.